My name is Ken, and I am one of the pastors here at Grace Church in Avon. And uh, you probably don't know this about me, but I, I ran track for one semester in middle school. Because <laughs> I know when you look at me, you think speed, right? That's what you're thinking. No. So my basketball coach happened to be the track coach. And he said, Ken, one of the best ways to stay in shape and get ready for summer basketball league is to run track. Thinking back now, another good way to stay in shape for summer league would be to play basketball just every day after school. But as a good coach, he convinced me to do something that I did not want to do, so I went out for track. Now, I'm quick. I was a point guard, so I'm quick, but I'm not fast. And there's a difference, okay? So uh, because I'm not fast, I, they passed me over for the 100-yard dash, uh, 200 yard. Do you know what they do with slow people? They put you in the mile. So he signs me up to run the mile for our middle school. And, and I knew nothing about track. For the first two weeks, I actually came in my basketball high tops, and that's what I trained with. And finally, when meet started, he's like, Ken, you're going you're gonna to have to get some running shoes. Like, you, you can't run in your high top converts. Like, that's, that's not going to work. And so uh, I remember our first meet, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm not, I'm not a trackster. I'm, I'm definitely not a distance person. I'm a basketball football player. And, and I'm on the starting line. And I'm looking at the guy next to me. He doesn't look like a runner either. I'm like, so, so what sport do you play? He's like, I'm hockey. I'm like, did your coach say if you do this, you'd stay in shape for hockey? He's like, yeah. The other guy's like, me too. I'm like, everybody on the line played some other kind of sport that their coach convinced them that they ran track, that they, they, they would stay in shape. So we were, we were the slow people of track. And the hope that my coach had was that I would be the quickest, the fastest slow person um, in the track. And, and actually, it went well for me because... Uh, Track, if you know anything about the mile, it's four laps around the high school track, which is a mile. And so after the first lap, I'm ready to quit. I was like, this, this, is, this is not what I signed up for. Uh, I don't see me staying in shape. And so my coach would stand where you start, um, and he would just say, come on, Ken, you can do it. And as I round and I, I would see him there, he, he's jumping up. Like, he's more excited about this than I am. I, this, this is like the worst day of my life. And he's jumping up and down. He's clapping. He's waving his arm. He's like, you can do it. Come on, keep just three more. I'm like, three more times around? This is crazy. So it gives me enough energy to get around to the next time where I want to quit again. And he's like, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. I share that story because every time I would run the mile, I would want to quit. And if it wasn't for my coach, his encouragement, his excitement, um, him saying, you can do it. I believe in you. I probably would have not finished the season. And when I, when I think of my coach and I think of First Peter, I, I think of Peter this way. He's writing to people who are discouraged, who want to give up. They're going through difficult times. They're living in Rome right now. And under Nero, Nero's turning up the heat for all the Christians. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus in this time, uh, you could be impaled on a stake and lit like a tiki torch. Uh, other Christians were like thrown into the Colosseum and they let the lions loose as a form of sport and spectators. Like this is what they're going through. And I can imagine if this is what my day would consist of, watching my friends being ripped apart by a lion or set on fire 
to light you know, the pathway, I would think that I would want to quit too. It would make my track experience look a lot better. And Peter is writing to them and he's encouraging them. I know it's difficult. Keep moving. I know it's difficult. Keep running the race that God has set before you. And so he gives instructions. If you've been here the entire series, uh, you've seen the instruction that he's given to the, the people that he's writing to, to his friends on not giving up. Even when things are going uh, difficult and you're doing everything that you know to do, he says, don't give up. We get to the final chapter. This is like the final lap. This is the fourth and final lap of this, of this mile. And he's giving them final encouragements on not to give up. So if you've ever struggled with your faith, if you've ever experienced persecution, if people have ever made fun of you, if you've ever thought, is this Christian life really worth living? I hope 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter's final encouragements will encourage you to keep, keep running. And so the first encouragement that he gives is this, seek humility. Seek humility. Now, I know that sounds weird, um, but, but, but stick with me for a minute. He says, seek humility. Look what he says in verse number one. He says, and now a word to you who are elders of the church. So he's going to start talking to an audience and he's going to keep expanding who he's talking to, but he starts off with the pastors, the leaders of the church. He says, I too am an elder and I'm a witness of the suffering of Christ. And I too shall share in the glory when revealed to the whole world. He says, as a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over him willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you can get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. He says, don't lord over the people that God has assigned to you. Um, care for them. He says, then when the good shepherd, which is Jesus, appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. He says, in the same way, now he's going to expand his audience. He says, in the same way, you younger, uh, younger people, you must accept the authority of your elders. And all of you, now even further expanding to everyone, he says, dress yourselves with humility. And as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Now, you got to understand the situation. They're experiencing oppression. They're experiencing difficulty. They're experiencing persecution and death. And the posture that Peter says, I want you to have, is not one of violence. It's not one of vindictiveness. It's not one of William Wallace. You know, let's, let's take these people. He says, the posture that I want you to have is one of humility. The word humility simply means to make low. It means to make small, to show weakness. And that is not something that comes easy to us. That goes against anything that we've ever thought of, especially when it comes to leadership. Show weakness to the people that I'm leading? Make myself small? Our culture says, no, you actually do the opposite if you're in leadership. Like, don't show weakness and, and lead, lead through power, lead through intimidation, lead through fear. And I guess if you wanted people to see you, I guess that's what you would do. But if you want God to be the hero of your story, then like the apostle, or I'm sorry, uh, John the Baptist, you need to decrease 
so that he can increase. And so that, this is the example that, that he's giving. He says, don't think highly of yourself. Think lowly of yourself. If you want God to be big, then you have to make yourself small. And so he says to the leaders, don't, don't get distracted. I know this is difficult, and I know what you're going through is, is hard, but don't give up on the mission. Feed the flock. Take care of the people that, that you're overseeing. Don't, don't get distracted. He says to the younger believers, don't get so prideful that you won't listen to anybody. You ever have anybody in your life that's like that? Maybe it's your kids. Uh, maybe, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's, maybe it's the people that you work with. Like, they will not listen. They do not take advice. And no matter what you say, they're like, no, I know better. This is what Peter's saying to the younger Christians. Don't be like that. Listen to people. Take advice. And then he says to everyone, everyone that he's writing to, he says, dress yourself in humility. And I love that he uses the word dress yourself. Like we notice when people dress nice, don't we? Like when people come to church and you're like, oh, that's a new shirt. I like that shirt. Oh, I, I see those shoes, those sneakers. We notice that. When people walk in and we, we notice what they're wearing. And what Peter's saying here is when, when people see you, do they notice humility? Or do they notice something else? He's saying, dress yourself in humility. And so he gives a couple of examples on how to do that. He says, one, take care of people. If you want to dress yourself in humility, don't think of yourself first. Think of others first. Care for them. Listen to what they're going through in their life. Be, be someone who cares for other people and what they're going through. He says, not only just care for them, but, but serve them. Go out of your way to make a difference in someone else's life. Now, we love that when people do that for us, right? When we're having a bad day and someone sits down and says, oh, man, I, I, I'm sorry that you're going through this. Is there anything that I can do to help? We love that. But are we the type of people that do that for others? He's saying, if you want to be a person of humility, care for someone else. And, and then he says, be that example. Don't just say this is what you want to do. Be that example. And Peter is that example. Now, think of who Peter is. We've talked about Peter and all the things that he's done. He's one of the 12 apostles. Okay, so he's walked with Jesus. Uh, he's seen the miracles. For good or bad, he was the spokesperson for the disciples, and sometimes that was a bad thing. Uh, he, he saw Jesus. He's one of the three that saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He walked on water. This is Peter. The first sermon that he, uh, that he preached on Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. Now, if there's anybody that could have said, I'm, I'm pretty stud of a leader here, it could have been Peter. But notice what he says. He says, I am a fellow elder with you. He didn't say, hey, bow down to me. I'm like a pope here. He didn't say that. He says, you know what? I am just like you. I'm just a fellow brother, sister in Christ who's trying to get through this difficulty. He did, he did it by example. He lowered himself. Humility is a defining mark of a follower of Jesus. It is. It's a defining mark of a follower of Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, which is his first sermon that Jesus preached. He said, blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for me. That takes some humility to say, you know what? I'm not all that. I need help from God. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who 
who are humble. Notice, and as it goes on, it keeps talking about it. It uses different words to describe what humility looks like. But Jesus is saying, this is the type of person that I want following me. I want someone who's humble, who's, who's lowly, who doesn't think of themselves more than they should. And so Peter goes on, he talks about, let me, let me tell you why that's important. Let me give you some reasons why you should live that way. And in verse 5, he says this, and I think, it's, I think it's powerful, and sometimes I think we overlook this, because God resists the proud. Peter says, the reason you should be humble is because God will oppose you if you're prideful. I don't know about you, but life is hard enough without opposing God. Like, I, I don't need God opposing me. I want God on my side. I want God helping me. But the Bible says that God opposes the proud. You may or may not be familiar with Natumbo. Uh, he's a basketball player that was just nasty when it came to blocking shots. He, he had 3,289 blocks in his short career. Second all-time in NBA history. And if you've ever watched him, like when someone would come into the paint to try to do a layup or dunk, he would just swat that stuff. And, he, and his, his, his move, his signature move was that little finger. He's like, uh-uh, not in my house, not here, not now. And so when I think of God opposing me, I, think of, I, I see this image of Natimbo going, not in my house. Ken, not in my house, not here, not you, not now. God opposes. Now, God's opposition is not to crush us. It's to correct us. God's not opposing you to, to crush you. He's opposing your pride to correct your attitude because he knows pride will lead to destruction. And Proverbs, he's actually, Peter's actually, he's quoting Proverbs chapter 3 where he talks about pride brings destruction. So God opposes us for correction, not to crush us. Um, when we're talking about pride, we're not talking about the kind of pride that he's talking about. It's not talking about the pride like, oh, I did something good. So I told you I'm not a runner, you know, but I did at the end of the, at the, end of the season, I did end up setting the school record in middle school for the mile. I was pretty proud of myself. That wasn't, that wasn't like a sinful pride, but I ran the mile in five minutes and eight seconds. Like five-minute mile for a, thir for a 13-year-old. Now, I know they do that in the marathon, you know, Boston Marathon. They run all 23 miles, and it's five minutes, and they're amazing. <laughs> but they weren't running in high tops. So I was proud of that accomplishment. I got my name on the board, but that's not the kind of pride that he's talking about. He's talking about a pride that says, I don't need God. I resist God. I'm going to do it on my own. And sadly, I, I think our country, I think we as individuals, we struggle with that type of pride. I'm going to do it my way. Max Lucado in his book, The Unshakable Hope, said this, God resists the proud because the proud resist God. Arrogance, people who are arrogant will not admit to sin. Their heart of pride never confesses, it never repents, it never asks for forgiveness. Pride is the hidden reef that shipwrecks our soul. 
And so he's saying, don't be prideful this way. I think one of the things that God can do is that he protects us. That's why he opposes our, our pride is it's protecting us so that we can live a life and finish our race. Another reason he gives for living a humble life is because in verse 5, it says, because God gives, he gives grace to the humble. So God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He actually gives you what you don't deserve when you humble yourself and say, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm not going to do it, just do it my way. That's what I want. There's nothing more incredible than having God behind you going, go, you can do it. And he's your coach. and He's going, keep running, keep running, keep running. That's what I want in my life. But he opposes me if I say, you know, I don't need you, God. I don't need you in my relationships. Don't need you in my finances. I don't need you in my career, my school. I don't, I don't need God. Now, I need God at church. But any other area of my life, I don't need God. God says, I resist that. I oppose that. You need me in every area of your life. He says, God will exalt you. Another reason why we want to live a humble life, he says, God's the one that will lift you up. God's the one that will exalt you. He did this with his son, Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus, who's equal with God, humbled himself, became a bondservant, which was the lowest type of servant, washed the stinky disciples' feet, and died on a cross to pay for our sins. The Bible says that God resurrected him and gave him a name that everybody will bow at the name of Jesus. Why? Because he humbled himself and God exalted him. And God says, I will do that for you. If you will humble yourself, I will exalt you. And one of the last reasons that he gives for living a humble life is so that God will care for you. So pride he resists, humility he cares for. That's a verse that I know I've used before and I've given to people going through difficulties. You know, cast your cares on Jesus, he cares for you. And that's a true statement. But in the context of what Peter's talking about, it's for those who humble themselves. It's, it's not for everyone. In the context of what he's talking about in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he's just talking about humbling yourself, humbling yourself, humbling yourself. And then he says, cast your cares on God for he cares for you. Well, who, who's he inviting to cast their cares? Those who have humbled themselves because God will care for you. There's a connection between living an, an anxious free life and being humble. And there's a connection between pride and anxiety. Because pride says, I can do it myself. And we get anxious because the, the world is on our shoulders. If I'm going to get through, through this without God, then it depends on me. And you can see how that would lead to anxiety. So there is that connection. So he says, another benefit of humbling yourself is that you can cast your cares for your marriage, your cares for your addiction, your cares for, for being able to pay your bills, for raising your kids. You can cast all those cares on God because he cares for you. That's just Peter saying, God's waving his arm, man. Keep running. Lap two, keep running. You got this. Keep running. But to do it, you've got to have the posture of humility. The second encouraging word that he gives is to stay alert. He says, stay alert. And the reason he says to stay alert is because you have an enemy that has a purpose for your life. And it's not the purpose that you want. Look what he says in verse number eight. He says, stay alert. That's the encouragement. Wake up. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
I love this word picture that Peter presents. He, he describes the devil, our adversary, our enemy, as a lion, okay? And I don't know if you've ever watched National Geographic and you've watched lions outgoing hunting. Uh, when they catch their prey, they don't play with it. They don't. I know some animals will, like, catch it and release it. And it's like, this is fun. Let's catch it again. Um, uh, lions don't do that. They catch it and they rip it apart. And, and Peter's saying, this is what Satan's purpose is for your life. He's looking to catch you and destroy you. Jesus described Satan this way in John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief, which he's referring to Satan, here's his purpose for your life. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, my purpose for you is completely different. I want to give you a satisfying and rich life. That's Satan's goal for your life. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that's good in your life. And he has a lot of different tricks to do that. And maybe what he uses on you is different than he uses on me. But I, I think there's a couple of things that is, is universal that we need to be alert, alerted to. And the first one is this. I think he lulls us into complacency. I think Satan does that. He lulls us into complacency. And there are times in our life where things are going well. And we're like, I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to be on guard. I don't need to be watching out. My marriage is good. My finances are good. Everything is good. And that's when Satan loves to pull the rug out from underneath us. That's when he throws the kitchen sink at us. That's when he gets in the bus and runs us over, then backs it up again. And maybe, you're, maybe that's this, your station of life right now. You just feel like you're, you're being run over and run over and run over. And you're in lap three of this mile, and it's like the longest lap of your life. Satan does that. In college, I went to Bible college to study to be a pastor. And uh, all these future pastors got together and said, hey, let's play this game called Assassin, because that's what pastors do. And the game was you got Nerf guns, so they weren't real guns. Uh, they got Nerf guns, and you'd put your name on a piece of paper, throw it into a hat, and there's about 50 or 60 guys in our dorm that were playing this game, and then you would draw a name out. And wh whoever's name you drew, that's the person that you were going to try to secretly assassinate. You don't go up to somebody and say, hey, I'm going to kill you. No, I mean, that's not what an assassin does. Assassin's sneaky. Assassin's strategic. And I'm telling you, it was, it was like the funnest time in college, man, when you're, you're walking around college looking for people to shoot. There were some rules. I, I mean, there, we weren't barbarians. You couldn't do it at church. Could you imagine, like, people just standing up and start Nerf gun war right now? So you couldn't do it in church, couldn't do it in school, and you couldn't do it in chapel, okay? And so you had a name. So whoever's name you had, that's the person that you were trying to kill, and when you shot them and killed them, they would give you the name they had. And so it would just go on, and, and people just were eliminated. And I was good. <laughs> like, if this pastoring thing didn't work out, I, I knew something else. I had a good skills. But I didn't win the game of assassin because I let my guard down. So I played, I played basketball in college, and uh, I was sitting in an ice bath. Had my gun there, so I was ready. I mean, you did not leave your gun anywhere. Uh, one of my favorite kills was I killed my best friend in the shower. <laughs> he was butt naked in the shower. I pulled the curtain back and pop, 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 pop. 
he had his gun around his neck. <laughs> he was prepared, but I got him. So I'm in my ice bath. My gun's right there. And this guy comes in. He goes, you playing that stupid game? I'm like, yeah. He goes, is that your gun? I'm like, yeah. He goes, can I see it? <laughs> yeah, you can see my gun. He picks it up and goes, pop. I'm like, you are kidding me. You know why he got me? He lulled me. He lulled me to sleep. Got complacent. Oh, he's not playing. He's not a threat. I'm good. I just killed the guy in the shower. And I think Satan does that to us. He lulls us into sleep. I'm a good Christian. Things are going well. He lulls us into sleep. I think another thing he does, and this is what he's doing in, in Rome right now, is he's bringing persecution. He's bringing trials. He's bringing suffering. And I think for a lot of Christians, when they go through this, they sort of walk away from their faith, or at least they struggle with it. Because if a God is loving and all-powerful, why would he allow me to go through difficult times? God never promised us that we wouldn't go through difficult times. Actually, he does promise us that we will. But he's with us. And so maybe you've experienced that. And maybe your difficulties and, and, and your bad circumstances have caused you to be bitter. Bitter toward, towards God, towards other people. James says, don't let the circumstances of your life make you bitter. Let them make you better. He says this in James chapter 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity of great joy. Consider it an opportunity to grow in your faith. He says, for when you know your faith is being tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing nothing. And I think sometimes we go through difficulties and we begin questioning God's goodness. We begin questioning God's character and, and we struggle with our faith. And it's something that Satan uses. He just uses it to discourage us. I think something else that he uses, and this is something that I, I've never really thought before until I, I started reading this passage. I think Satan encourages us to be prideful because he knows that when we're prideful, who opposes us? God. So all Satan has to do is just say, hey, be prideful. Did you know that pride was what caused him to fall? He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God. Do you know it was what he used to cause Adam and Eve to sin? If you eat of this tree, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what? You won't have to rely on God anymore. You will be God. And I think he does that in our own lives. Why follow the Bible? That thing was written a long time ago. It doesn't apply to 2023. Like your life, your situation, your relationship, your finances, you're the God, you're the boss of your life. And we fall for that all the time. And when we do, it shipwrecks our soul. Proverbs talks about that. Pride, be go, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit, which is another way of saying pride before a fall. Satan knows that verse. So I think he uses it in our lives to destroy us. But God and Peter are going, stay alert. 
Know what he does in your life. Do you know how Satan tempts you, how he distracts you, what he uses? Is it lulling you to sleep? Is it trials and difficulties and struggles? Is, 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 is it pride? Like, what does he do? Stay alert. Be on guard. The third thing that, he, that, that Peter's saying, come on, keep running. Keep running. You got this. The third, third encouragement is this. Stand firm. So be humble. Take the position. Take the posture of humility. Stay alert and stand firm. Look what he says in verse number nine. Stand firm. That's the encouragement. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same things that you're suffering with. Like you're not alone in this. There are other people going through the exact same struggles that you are. And everybody in Rome was going through this. He says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered for a little while, I'm so glad he put that in there. I'm so glad he said, hey, it's just for a little bit. This is not forever. Your circumstances, your difficulty, it's not forever. Don't give up on lap three. You can get through lap four. It's for a short time. Thank you for putting that in there. He says, then he will restore, he will support, he will strengthen you. He will place your feet on a firm foundation. Stand firm. I think something that Satan uses to discourage us and distract us and destroy us is he, he gets us to, to move away. He gets us to isolate ourselves. See, what Peter's saying is, you have other people that are going through the same things. Rely on them. Lock arms with them. Now, when I was running the mile, my coach encouraged some other guys from the basketball team and the football team to run track as well. And so we had like three or four people on our team running the mile that were not mile people. But we did better as a team than we did as an individual. And so what we do is we would run and someone would try to set the pace. And the other guys would sort of coast. I had the best kick. So I, I was sort of, I, I didn't lead the first three laps. I let them lead. And I would save my energy for the last 100 meters. And that's when I would try to kick it in and I'd try to pass everybody. That was our strategy. But as a team, we did better. As a team, like we could sort of spread out a little bit, run with our elbows out a little bit more make it difficult for people to pass us. You're not supposed to do that, but I mean, what do we know, right? So we had strategy, but we had to do it as a team. It was, it was more difficult to do it as an individual. And this is what Peter's saying. Peter's saying that the Christian life was not meant to be lived on your own. He says, you have a family of believers. Look at them. I think the lion, what he tries to do, and what's something that I think we've learned through the pandemic is isolation is not good for our souls. It's not good for our emotions, our mental health. Like isolation is the worst thing for us. And this is Peter's encouragement. Don't do it alone. As a matter of fact, he, he, he's an example in this again. So at the end of the chapter, he says, I want you to encourage Silas and John Mark, two people that traveled with the apostle Peter the guy who walked on water, the guy who preached and 3,000 people got saved, the person who saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. He still needed people around him to encourage him, to support him, 
and to lift him up. And if Peter, on the statement that Jesus is the Son of God, that's what the church is built on, if that Peter needed people in his life, who are we to think that we can do it by ourselves? That statement is prideful, and God opposes that. We need people. That's why here at Grace Church, we encourage you to get into a life group. We want you around other people on a weekly basis that are praying for you, studying the scriptures with you. God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. Do you know that? He's given you his spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's given you the Holy Spirit. We just sang about the Holy Spirit. But he's given you his spirit. He's given you his word. And the third thing that he's given us is his people. And yet there are times in our life where we go into battle against Satan and we, we do it with one arm tied behind our back because we have his spirit, we have his word, we just don't have backup. We don't have other people going into battle with us, so we're fighting Satan alone. Peter says, don't do that. Keep running. Find people alongside you and keep running. Don't give up. I know it's difficult. I know people that you know are being persecuted, killed, lit on fire, torn apart, don't give up. Remain humble, stay alert, stand firm. And then he says in verse number 10 and 11, when you do this, God will strengthen you. He will support you. He will encourage you and he will set you on a firm foundation. And I don't know about you, but I need all those things in my life. Because I know Satan has my name. I know it. I know he's drawn my name out of that hat, and he is trying to destroy my life. And he does it, in, and he tries to do it in different ways. And so I try to stay humble. I try to stay alert, and I try to stand fast with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know what you're going through, but God does. God knows the difficulties that you're facing. He knows what you're going to face tomorrow. He knows the health issues that you struggle with. He knows the addictions that you're trying to overcome. He knows the relational dysfunctions that are in your life. He knows that the career that you're on right now is not the career you thought you'd be on. He knows all those things. And he has a plan for your life. The Bible says a plan to prosper and help you, not to destroy you. But let me ask you, what is your position, your posture in this life? Is it one of humility? Is it one of being alert? Is it one saying, you know what? I need help. I need my church family. I need my friends to come alongside me and I'll share the things that I'm going through. I know that's not easy to share your brokenness and your hurt and the things that you struggle with, but that's what we need. That's what we need if we're going to continue to run the race. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Where are you in the race? Are you ready to give up? Are you on lap three? That's just been, lap three all by itself feels like it's been a mile. And you're like, when is this lap in my life going to end? Keep looking at the author and finisher of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. Don't give up. You're hurting, I know. 
God knows. Don't give up. Your finances are all jacked up. I, I know. Don't give up. Can nothing in my life is going the way that I wanted to or I thought it would? I know. Don't give up. Keep running. Keep going. If you sit down and if you give up, Satan wins in your life. Keep running. Take the next step. Just take the next step. Focus on the next thing that you need to do that God's calling you to do. That's all you have to do. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And when you do that, he will support, he will encourage, and he will strengthen you. Father God, I pray your word has been an encouragement to us today. We all go through seasons and laps in our life that are difficult. They're harder than other things in our lives. And Satan is real. He is the adversary. He is the lion. He is the thief that wants to destroy our lives. And he does it by lulling us into sleep, by bringing difficulties in our life, and by building up our pride so that you will resist us. God, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you. Humbly ask you to, to forgive us of our sin. Humbly ask you to use us to be a blessing to others, to care for others who are hurting. God, I'm asking you to do what we cannot do. You can restore you can support, you can heal, you can set us on a firm foundation that never is rocked, that is able to, to withstand the winds and the storms of this life. So God, I pray for those who are here today who are struggling in their faith. I pray Peter's encouragement to be humble, to be alert, and to stand fast would be an encouragement to them to live their life in a way that they will hear on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. You ran hard. And we'll thank you for it, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.